This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. This morning I'd like to begin a discussion of the Bodhisattva's vow, uh, which we can continue in our discussion group uh, later on, if you like. The first thing to notice about this uh, text is in the title, uh, Bodhisattva's Vow. The way we usually think about the word vow as if it's a uh, promise or a commitment to do something, uh, usually something that we're going to do with some difficulty or reluctance, you know, like I vow to give up smoking or drinking, or I vow to give 10% of my income to charity, something like that. But throughout here, we don't get any sense at all of that kind of use of the word vow, uh, kind of uh, struggling to do the right thing in the face of uh, resistance. Instead, it begins this way. When I, a student of the way, look at the real form of the universe, all is the never-failing manifestation of the mysterious truth of the awakened life. In any event, in any moment, and in any place, none can be other than the marvelous revelation of its glorious light. It starts out with a statement of realization. It doesn't start with a statement of aspiration or promise. It says, when, when I realize the true nature of things, this is what it looks like. And everything is going to flow out of uh, that state of realization. Uh, it's very similar in that sense to the way uh, the Heart Sutra begins. Avalokitesvara, Bodhisattva of Compassion, doing deep prajnaparamita, clearly saw the emptiness of all five conditions, thus relieving misfortune and pain. Realization comes first, and out of it flows compassionate action. Uh, and here in the Bodhisattva's vow, we have a similar movement. Uh, we begin where most of us are trying to get to, with realization. <laughs> That's the first step, right? All this other stuff we're doing is just a preliminary. But the realization comes first, and then we're going to see what flows out of that. And the sense is that everything, any event, any moment, any place... Everything is that marvelous revelation. The 
mysterious truth. It doesn't state quite yet what that truth is, but that there's a sense in which everything is already manifesting it, right? Now, the next uh, section shows how this realization uh, manifests itself, what, uh, how it flows into our life. This realization made our ancestors and teachers extend tender care with respectful hearts, even to such beings as birds and beasts. The realization made our ancestors. The realization itself, in a sense, compels us uh, to extend this tender care. Uh, Not in the sense of an ought or a should, but in the sense of something has been made clear and obvious. Once you see this, you just automatically, naturally, will behave in this certain way. Um, we can say the, if you want to think of the realization here in terms of non-separation, you could say is when we see ourselves as non-separate from life, we automatically extend the same care we would extend to ourselves, to, to all beings. goes on, this realization teaches us that our daily food, drink, clothes, and protections of life are the warm flesh and blood, the merciful incarnation of the awakened one. Who can be ungrateful or not respectful, even to senseless things, not to speak of human beings? Here we make a little turn uh, into the metaphor of the incarnation of the awakened one as our daily food, drink, clothes, and protections of life. Now as we read this part, it's pretty clear that this is a metaphor. We're not tempted to take this literally, but we're shown a certain perspective that we are part of the body, one body of the awakened one. Our daily food, drink, clothes, and protections of life are the warm flesh and blood, part of the body of the awakened one. We're part of one body. Um, And so, since everything that we encounter is part of the body of the Buddha, we show it respect, even to senseless things, even to inanimate objects. Everything in the world is part of this Buddha body, right, in this broad metaphorical sense. And it's also this realization teaches us so that, again, it's not something here that we're striving to do or realize. It's more that 
from the perspective of realization, we see that everything is the one body of the awakened one, that we are in some sense, some very deep sense, at home in the world. It's uh, a statement uh, that absolutely negates any kind of alienation or separation that we might feel. Realization is about complete embeddedness, embodiment, interconnection, right? Now, the next section, we get something that sounds more like an admonition, more like a vow. Even though they may be fools, be warm and compassionate towards them. If by any chance they should turn against us, become a sworn enemy and abuse and persecute us, we should sincerely bow down with humble language and the reverent understanding that they are the merciful messengers of the awakened one who use devices to emancipate us from blind tendencies produced and accumulated upon ourselves by our own egoistic delusion and attachment through countless cycles of space and time. Well, that's a mouthful. (laughs) But we... um, A couple different things are happening there. First, it's, it's as if um, we're acknowledging that our realization that gives us this immediate sense of uh, embeddedness and non-separation may bump up against some limits. That no matter, you know, the, the, in the natural course of things, we will have some experience, maybe just a small one, of this kind of realization where we feel totally at home in a world that is there protecting us, right? That is is the body of the awakened one. And yet, that, that feeling, even if it's genuine, is very likely to bump into some harsh reality at one point or another. Uh, now, what kinds of realities? Well, it starts with encountering fools. Right? <laughs> uh, what do we do about people who don't realize this? Right? How do we respond or react when we have this realization, but the other fellow doesn't? Right? Are we still going to feel that same connection to someone who denies the reality of our deepest view of the world? And so here, this section enters into the the things that challenge us by making us feel separate. Uh, And it's, so it's at first the encounter with delusion. We've got our realization, but how are we going to respond to the people who don't have it, who still are caught in a grip of uh, separation and delusion? There, there is this admonition of be warm and compassionate towards them. Um, 
which we may find even harder than being uh, <coughs> respectful to such beings as birds and beasts, right? That came first and that looked easier, right? <laughs> it's people that are the problem. <laughs> now the second one gets a little complicated because not only we have to not only deal with idiots, we have to now start dealing with enemies. If by any chance they should turn against us and become a sworn enemy. Here we should, this is we'll, now again one of the places where should comes in because we're facing a challenge of separation. Bow down with humble language and the reverent understanding that they are the merciful messengers of the awakened one who used devices to emancipate us. Now here the language gets slippery because when before we said everything we encounter is the warm flesh and blood uh, of, the, of the awakened one, it's pretty clear that's a metaphor. But how metaphorical is this? Right? Uh, I think there's a tendency to to slip into a language where we think that messengers of the awakened one, oh, we're, we're sort of slipping into an almost theistic kind of language where uh, the universe is trying to tell us something, right? You know, you, you hear that language now all the time, right? Uh, that there's actually a meaning or purpose, a, f- a hidden function in these people becoming our enemies. Uh, life is trying to teach us something, right? Now, Joko could use that kind of language, but again, we have to be very clear that we're, we're speaking metaphorically and try to understand what is, what kind of teaching this is and uh, what kind of device it is. And most, basically, I would say, if we are attempting to extend a realization of non-separation, anything that pushes a button of separation in us is teaching us the limits of our realization. Is showing us uh, that we've come this far, but there's still this bit farther to go. That we, uh, this is the boundary that we, we have still unconsciously or automatically to our realization. Uh, it's very easy to uh, get caught up in a sense of the... Um, completeness or perfection of our realization uh, no matter how small (laughs) and we all need to bump up against something that that shows us that well actually no you know (laughs) that's that's not the whole story right Um, and if there's anything that will make us feel like we are separate, it's encountering an enemy, someone who is uh, 
clearly declaring themselves not us, right? Um, if an enemy is not available, parents work pretty well. Uh, <laughs> as in Trungpa's uh, old saying, if you think you're enlightened, uh, just go home to your parents for the holiday. Um, but this is the kind of statement of uh, a messenger of the awakened ones, something in life that teaches you where your, where your boundaries are. Right? Um, the next part of that is um, emancipate us from blind tendencies produced and accumulated upon ourselves by our own egoistic delusion and attachment through countless cycles of space and time. Uh, again, what what is it that we've produced and accumulated? Uh, this is a statement about how we're going to understand karma, something about cause and effect. Now, if we take this too literally, if we lose the metaphor, uh, what we get is this kind of literal karmic picture that we're suffering now, we're being persecuted now because of some egoistic uh, bad behavior in a past life that is now coming around to bite us on the ass. We're getting what we deserve from our past bad behavior. Right? Um, see the as we go through this there's this whole temptation uh, to slip into more and more literal language uh, about uh, karma and uh, the instrumentality of life you know and this almost as if there's an intention behind everything right How can we understand it if we don't go down that, that path? Um, I think we should see this as saying that our whole sense of separation arises out of our, our his, history, both personal and cultural and historic uh, that we create and are born into a world in which <coughs> suffering has created and maintained and perpetuated a sense of uh, doer and done to of uh, perpetrator and victim uh, and that, that that whole way of looking at things is part of our personal, cultural uh, inheritance that we are going to have to figure out how to come to terms with in light of this realization of non-separation. To the extent that we are not, in fact, separate from the whole stream of life, we have brought this on ourselves. All of life has sort of done this through generations, and now we're the latest uh, manifestation of it. Um, this is how it unfolds, and this is what we've inherited, and we have to come to terms with that, that sense of things. Uh, 
it's the um, in a sense you can say it's the the legacy of uh, uh, historical um, fact of trauma repeating itself over and over, generation to generation, in which with every trauma we're made to back up and feel separate. Every time something hits us and hurts us, we, we create this, this boundary. And that that is our inheritance, those boundaries uh, are our inheritance that we have to come to terms with and see for what they are in light of uh, realization. The bowing down with humble language and in, uh, in reverent understanding, though, is a sense that it is precisely our practice to to see and experience those boundaries of separation. That was really Joko's point over and over again. Uh, don't try to cultivate some state of oneness. Try to find your edge all the time. And that edge is defined by hurt, anger, anxiety, resistance. That's, that's the boundary that you... Life will always teach you, you know, it, it exists, right? It's always coming to give you that, that lesson. It concludes with um, sort of returning to its original place of uh, realization. Uh, we've gone through the realization, its manifestation, its bumping up against resistance, uh, the use of metaphor, including sort of the metaphor of almost a kind of divine messenger. And now we're going to conclude with a statement of uh, complete realization if you work through that, uh, uh, those resistances. Then on each moment's flash of our thought will grow a lotus flower, and on each lotus flower will be revealed perfection, unceasingly manifest as our life, just as it is right here and right now. This is the perfection of our life, just as it is right here and right now. That means you have to see the lotus blossoming Uh, what are the blossoms of this lotus? Well in one way we have to say pain, suffering, delusion right? Uh, Life blossoms with all these things and yet is is perfect in, in its every manifestation right? Including the insentient matter, the birds and beasts, the fools, the enemies, right? Our own pain and suffering. This is, this is the, these are all petals of the lotus. Right. (laughs) It sounds nice, but we really don't believe it. 
May we extend this mind to all beings so that we in the world together attain maturity in the wisdom of the awakened life. And that in some sense is one statement of vow here. May we extend this mind. May we try to engage the world from this place of non-separation and realization so that we actually all participate in it uh, together. Like I say, it's it's very important, uh, and I think the bulk of this vow says so, is to not try to focus in on the part of... Um, the realization where everything um, looks perfect and pretend that we're going to uh, occupy that place, uh, pretend that that's how we feel all the time. What's really important is to uh, pay attention to our limits, to be honest about how when we read this we don't believe a word of it. (laughs) 